0: Uh, Today's uh, scripture reading is going to come from Isaiah uh, chapter 41, 1 through 20. Uh, In the blue pew Bible, in front of you, it can be found on page 601. It's going to start on the top left, pretty much be the whole page. Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach. Then let them speak. Let us together draw near for judgment. Who showed up one from the east whom victory meets at every step? He gives up nations before him so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. He pursues them and passes on safely. By paths his feet have not trod. Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am he. The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and come. Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, Be strong. The craftsman strengthens the goldsmith, and he who smooths with the hammer, him who strikes with the anvil, saying of the soldiering, It is good. And they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from his farthest corners, saying to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, Fear not, I am the one who helps you. Fear not, you warm Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I make of you a threshing sledge, new, sharp, and having teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and crush them, and you shall make the hills like chaff. You shall winnow them, and the wind shall carry them away, and the tempest shall scatter them. And you shall rejoice in the Lord, and the Holy One of Israel you shall glory. When the poor needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights, and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water, and the dry land springs of water. I will put in the wilderness the cedar, the Ache As seeth the myrtle, the olive, I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain, and the pine together, that they may see and know, may consider and understand together, that the hand of the Lord has done this, the Holy One of Israel has created it. The Lord bless uh, the word.
1: Let's pray together. Oh, Father, as we come to your word, we are weak and helpless. We cannot ever on our own truly hear your word, embrace it, believe it, and live it out. And so we ask by your mighty spirit, you would graciously deal with us, that we will be conformed more and more to your image and trust you as our glorious God. Bless us for Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen. This passage, I'm going to divide into two sections, okay? One through seven is a rejected invitation, and then eight through 20, an all-embracing promise. So, a rejected invitation and an all-embracing promise. So, Let's look at a rejected invitation. In the movie, an American or the American president, Sidney Wade, who's played by Annette Bening, gets a phone call from the president of the United States, who's played by Michael Douglas. He's a widower, and he's calling to ask Miss Wade to a state dinner. Not S-T-E-A-K, S-T-A-T-E, right? A state dinner. Uh, She thinks it's Richard, a friend of hers, who's playing a joke on her. And she's just laughing and finally just hangs up on him. Because he won't quit <laughs> so the president calls back immediately again and she starts in again on him making fun and he says hang up the phone call the white house and then maybe you'll believe me so she hang, he he click it's click she calls and realizes i hung up on the president <laughs> He asks her, and of course she accepts with amazement and gratitude that she's going to get to go to a state dinner with the president. It was such an amazing invitation, she couldn't even believe that it was real. And you would think that when the God of the universe invites us into a relationship with himself that we would be like Sidney Wade, but this passage tells us that left to ourselves, we will choose almost anything but God. One through seven is a rejected invitation. Now, most of you heard Ryan teach last week so well, the promise from the last verse of chapter 40, those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. Well, you'll see here in the first verse, God addresses all people everywhere to come to him to renew their strength. It's the same promise, the same phrase. So the strength promised to Israel is now being offered freely to the whole world. And then further, God invites them and and illustrates his great power in verses 2 through 4. So enhancing the uh, willingness of the people to come to him. He shows just how much strength he has. He says, say a conqueror sweeps through and tramples over kings and pulverizes them into dust as easy as pie. Who gives him that power? Who is running the show ultimately? And in verse 4 he says, it is me. In fact, I bring forth every generation of people there has ever been. I begin everything, and I will be there at the end to bring everything to its final conclusion. And so come to me and be renewed, I who am the Lord who rules over all things. And what do the nations do? You know the phrase, taking candy from a baby, is not sometimes really accurate at all. Suppose you have a a, a a year-and-a-half-old girl. She's pushing 30 pounds, and she has a piece of candy that she's going to choke on, and you're trying to get it out of her hands, and you're prying her fingers off one by one as she ruins your hearing like a rock concert and tries to bite your finger off on top of it. Well, that's a good picture for how the, idol, the, the, the nations clamp down on their idols and refuse to give themselves to God. And it's almost like a war cry in verses 6 and 7 as they tell each other, be strong, make more idols, keep it up. Yes, that's the way. You're doing good. They're in league with each other in making these idols. You see, this passage teaches us that we form our idols and serve our idols out of fear. We fear death and disease. We, feel, we fear failure and rejection. We fear that we will not have significance or fulfillment in life. And instead of entrusting ourselves to this mighty God, we turn to our idols Many of which in themselves are good, but we trust them for life. We trust them for ultimate significance. And it can be anything, good grades, advancing our careers, making good money. It can even be friends and family. It can be prestige and power or partying or entertainment or reading or knowledge or sports or music. Anything can become our idols As we flee from this God. And our fear also produces idols of, you might say, self-protection. Right? Avoiding intimacy. Avoiding being vulnerable and open. Avoiding serving people. Avoiding responsibility. Avoiding fearful situations. Avoiding admitting that we are wrong hiding from honest relationship, hiding behind anger or silence or excuses or work or blaming others. We have a million idols and we just clamp down on them like that baby with candy. And all the more, this God took on flesh and humbled himself to rescue us from sin. He's not only a God of unlimited power as set forth here. He is a God of unlimited love. And so holding on to our idols is all the more appalling and tragic in the face of such loving sacrifice on our behalf. And I love what the music team sang. What can strip the seeming beauty... From the idols of the earth, not a sense of right or duty, but the sight of peerless worth. It's the sight of the peerless worth of Jesus Christ alone that will cause us to unclamp our hands and to take Jesus Christ instead of our idols. And so, this is rejected invitation, verses 1 through 7. And then we go to verses 8 through 20, which I'm entitling, An All-Embracing Promise. Claudia Black writes in Psychology Today about children dealing with abandonment issues. And, And in their case, this is caused so often by the neglect and mistreatment of parents. In our case, God has been nothing but good to each one of us, But in our belief, our unbelief, you could say, we have created abandonment issues with God. We so easily think that he is against us. We so easily think he has walked away from us. We need to hear again and again, fear not. So how does he speak into our unbelief? in this passage. He starts in verses 8 and 9, which are kind of their own little unit here, saying, you are my chosen servant. He says, I initiated this relationship. He says specifically, I took hold of you. I called you. And when he uses the phrase, the ends of the earth and its farthest corners, it's a poetic way to recall taking Abraham from distant, the distant city of Ur and taking Israel out of Egypt. And so in effect, he's saying, I fetched you from far away like a man would go a great distance in order to gain a great treasure. I took you from afar. And that has all the more meaning, doesn't it, when you think... He came and shed his blood to fetch us. How far he went in his own suffering to fetch us back to himself. Then he presents to his chosen servant three back-to-back pictures of what he will do for us and why we do not have to be afraid. He introduces it in verse 10, of course, with... Fear not, I am with you. But in verses 10 through 13, he basically says, When you have enemies, I will take them out. Then in verses 14 through 16, When you are weak, I will make you strong. And finally in verses 17 and 20 through 20, When you face devastating circumstances, I will abundantly supply you. Okay? So all of this under this all embracing promise. So first enemies. He says in verses in eleven and twelve, you have enemies. Here's what's going to happen to those enemies. Your enemies will be put to shame, they will be as nothing, they will perish. You won't even be able to find them. That's what's going to happen to your enemies. That's what happens when God is with you. Do not fear. And in our personal context, it means many things. Here are some of them. It means that God will overrun the human powers that try to stand in the way of the gospel. They won't be able to. The Lord Jesus says that he will gather all his sheep from everywhere on earth and throughout history. Man's power cannot and will not prevent it. And then on a personal level, though we face many obstacles and a full array of spiritual enemies that stand in the way of our bringing the good news to our community, if we trust him and act we will find that He will overcome everything and use us in great ways to draw people to Christ. That's what will become of our enemies. It means that our spiritual enemies must fall back before the onslaught of God's grace in our own lives. How encouraging is that? We will be more and more conformed to Christ. Regardless of those enemies, we will be made a body that lives out the love of Christ with one another and with the world outside, regardless of our enemies. And finally, it will mean that in the last day, all the persecution and imprisonment and suffering and death of God's people will be over. In that day, all of the enemies of God's people will, will be as nothing, they will perish, you will not find them anymore and forever. They'll be gone. That's because God is with us. And so in this all-embracing promise to his chosen servants, he'll take out your enemies, and then next he will make you strong in your weakness. He uses the word worm. Don't try to use that with your husband or wife. It probably won't work. But it means, in this context, being hopelessly inferior to the task that you have to do. Hopelessly inferior. But he says, even so, you will become a sledge to thresh and winnow and level the mountains and hills, and they'll be blown away like dust in a gale. You, though you're helplessly weak, will have the joyous victory of the mighty, he says there in verse 16. And so for us, we face spiritual change that is way beyond our capacity. We have been crippled by sin. We are ingrained and we have fixed habits of sin. We have desires and fears that just overwhelm us. And our greatest helplessness is that we continue to sin in so many ways that we can't even see. That we can't even recognize and admit to ourselves. Much less start working on them. We are really worms in the face of sin. The most recent project of the photographer Nadev Kander is entitled Dust. It's a series of pictures taken between the border of Russia and Kazakhstan, where Russia, beginning in the 40s, began testing atomic bombs. They detonated hundreds of those bombs in order to uh, further develop the bomb and to test its effects on the population. And so, the pictures are of gutted buildings standing absolutely by themselves, scattered around. In fact, the maps didn't even show the area was there until Google Earth found it in 2006. He's been arrested twice being in the area. And he says, when you're there, the only sound you hear is the blowing of the wind and the clicking of the Geiger County counter, measuring the radiation that's still there. And Candor says... He takes it, this whole area, as a mark of mankind's most fundamental problems. He says, this is a human condition for all humans. He says, we have savagery. We have envy. We have shadow. And that's you and me. We have savagery. We have envy. We have shadow. How in the world can we be released? But God says, though you are worms, you in the hands of my hand, uh, uh, in my mighty hands will really change from the inside out. It's expressed here when he says, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. He calls them first Jacob, which meant usurper. The one who's out for himself that uses others for his own purposes. Bit in on himself. But then God, when he wrestles with God, he renames him as Israel. The one who strives with God. The one who wrestles with God and helplessly clings to God for his blessing. And ultimately is conformed to God's steadfast love. Isn't that encouraging? That though you are Jacob... Marked by savagery and envy and shadow, you, you will be Israel. And how encouraging as we bring the gospel to our community, realizing it's really beyond us. We struggle with so many fears and selfishness and worldliness and laziness. How can we have the courage to love those around us? But in verse 14 here, he says, I am your Redeemer. It means, I'm your kinsman, redeemer. The one who takes upon himself the needs of his next of kin. He calls you his next of kin, the Holy One of Israel. And he says, hey, next of kin, I will take you up. And your feeble weakness, I will bear you up and make you strong. So, in this all-embracing promise, he says, I will take out your enemies. He says, I will make you strong in your weakness. And then finally, beginning in verse 17, when you face devastating circumstances, I will abundantly supply you. He speaks there of being in the desert and yet being supplied by springs and fountains and forests which miraculously nourish the desert traveler. You and I will face so many Terrible circumstances in our lives. And God promises right there, right in the midst of it, when it seems like the whole foundation of your life is shaken, when it seems like there's nothing but trauma and devastation, nothing but loss and barrenness, right there the streams of God's life and grace will find you. Right there you will be made fruitful. The Jacobs and Brian and I meet together every week and we read some materials. And we read this week as part of our piece about the black spiritual that we've all heard. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. But I had never heard the original words. And it goes like this. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. And then glory Hallelujah. You're like, how'd you get from this to that? How'd you get from trouble, sorrow, trouble, glory, hallelujah, just bursting out like water in a desert? And at its best, this is a cry that recognizes there is a faithful God in the midst of human trauma and lost loss. Glory. Hallelujah. At its best, we realize he has suffered for me in Christ Jesus. And the implication, brothers and sisters, is this. He will redeem every moment of your life. Every moment. He didn't spill his blood for nothing. He spilled his blood to redeem your life from everything. So that no matter what, you go through it will be shaped by God to form you into his image so that in the midst of loss there will be the abundance of spiritual springs when you're crippled by circumstances God will form you into the strong image of Jesus Christ and as we read in Revelation 22 finally the desert will be gone (laughs) I love that passage as I know you do many of you The river of the water of life, brightest crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. On either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit in each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The night will be no more. And by His grace, we can cry out in the most terrible times, glory, hallelujah. Glory is ours because we belong to Jesus. We are forgiven in him. We rest in him under the favor of God. We are becoming more and more like him through everything that happens to us and we will be with him forever. Glory, hallelujah. In the midst of the worst things, nothing can take away that glory. Nothing can take away that cry of hallelujah. You can give it away. He can refuse it but nothing can take it away from you. No wonder God says in verse 10, Fear not, I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. And what does that mean? It means I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Righteous right hand, that means with my hand that saves, my hand that rescues I will uphold you. Then he repeats it in verses 13 and 14. Don't fear. I'm the one who helps you. Don't fear. I'm the one who helps you. I am your God. The movie Goodwill Hunting has very, very rough language, okay? But it is an amazing and moving story. And at the end of the movie, Will's three buddies have pooled their meager funds and have built him a car. And the car looks like they built it from probably six different cars they find in the junkyard. The hood is rusted red and the top is blue. And as Will, played by Matt Damon, says, it's the ugliest car I've ever seen, right? It's just ugly. But as they say, these guys are mechanics. They know what they're doing. And say, the engine's good. It's a good engine. And what are they saying to Will? They want him to be able to do what he wants. They want him, this brilliant boy, to get out and use his great mind. And so, in effect, they are saying to him, Will, this is your car. Take it. Drive anywhere you wish. It will get you there. It will be faithful to you. And the the movie ends with him driving all the way to California from Boston to see the girl that he so wildly loves now think of this there's a present presented to you and you're like for me yeah this is this is yours this is your present you open it up and it says i am yours god himself wait 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 you say you're telling me God is my, it's my God. He's devoted to me. For me to depend on. For me to trust. for, For me to find comfort in. To rule and govern my life for good. You've got to be kidding. No, no. I'll be your God. Devoted to your good forever. Glory, hallelujah. That this God will help you and strengthen you and uphold you. So take him and trust him and rejoice in him. And I urge you, as I urge myself, don't be like the nations that refuse this God. Don't walk away from this glorious promise. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we rest in you We call you to change us, to take away our fear. Only you can, Lord. Only you can reveal to us the peerless worth of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we would let go of our idols and put ourselves under the care of this gracious God who has suffered for us and who tells us, Fear not. I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. So bless us, Lord, for Jesus' sake. Amen.